You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. I mean, some tend to forget that if you rank the top four threats against the UK, you know, North Korea is in the sort of top four, which considering how small North Korea is, and also the fact that the bulk of people in the country don't even have access to the internet, that's quite a remarkable turn of events. So the whole point mm. of the podcast and the book was sort of answer the question, why has that happened? But also how have they done that? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, Carol Terrio joins us. She's speaking with Jeff White about his new book, The Lazarus Heist, from Hollywood to high finance inside North Korea's global cyber war. All right, Joe, uh, before we kick things off with our stories, we have a little bit of follow-up and feedback here. Uh, I guess I will go ahead and read this as the official reader. Yes. Uh, This is from a listener who goes by the name of John. And John says, hello, Dave and Joe. First off, I love your show. You both do a great job communicating security-related information and stories. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, John. You can write us anytime. Yes, please Uh, do. Write us more often. Tell us how awesome we are. John (laughs) says, last year I wrote in, well, there you go, Yes. about a hacking (laughs) scheme my son was dealing with and how he potentially compromised his driver's license. We live in Colorado. I remember that. It was easy enough to go to the local DMV and get a new license so the old one could not be used. Great. This year, I was notified my driver's license and other personal data had been exposed in the T-Mobile breach. Interestingly, I was notified by a monitoring service I subscribed to and not by T-Mobile. I thought there were changes in the reporting requirements, but apparently not involving the notification to people impacted. Also, I find it interesting that T-Mobile seems to be acting like nothing happened. Other companies I deal with who had security breaches have proactively reached out to notify and offer monitoring services for some time period, while T-Mobile seems to be taking the ostrich approach. But I digress. (laughs) I'll just add as an aside here that perhaps it's because T-Mobile has so many breaches that it's hard for them to to keep up. Maybe that's why. (laughs) But back to John. He writes, My first thought was why did T-Mobile have my information since the last time I used them was over 20 years ago? My second thought was I should go to the DMV to void my current one and get a new one since it was relatively easy based on my son's experience. Well, apparently something changed in the past year. Now, to get a license reissued, it requires a notarized affidavit and a police report. This means you cannot get a license reissued until after you have experienced some form of identity theft the police are willing to handle and report. Apparently, instead of being helpful, the Colorado government would like its citizens to experience some injury beyond the annoyance of dealing with the DMV. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yes. that in and of itself is an injury. Injury to insult. Yes. I would be interested in hearing your views on this. I have a few things. Okay. Uh, number one, if the last time you did business with T-Mobile was 20 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, then wouldn't your license have long expired? That's true. Yes, um, the license they would have on file. Yeah, I don't. Would be so long gone. I don't but, know that I'd be concerned about it if that was if this is truly twenty year old information. Maybe something. Maybe John has some other information in here that I I it's not clear, or maybe yeah. he has another concern. No, good but point. Aside from that, there are two main concerns here. Number one, why do companies keep your data forever? 
Mm-hmm. If you haven't done business with that company in 20 years, why do they still have it? That's a valid question. <laughs> yes. I, I would like somebody from T-Mobile <laughs> to answer that question. Yeah. Um, it, maybe the next step is for you to call T-Mobile and go, hey, listen, my data was breached when you guys got breached and I haven't done business with you for 20 years. I'm going to send you a letter that that commands you or or instructs you to delete my data since we don't have a business relationship anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you can get away with that at all. I don't know if you have any force or, you know, if there any, there's no right to be forgotten in the United States yet. Right. Soon there will be. Yeah. Uh, where When you will have the force of law behind that request. Mm-hmm. But you can still make the request. Um, and then I'd be in touch with my legislators to ask about this. Hmm. Uh, hmm. What's going on here? You know, you need to you need to make it so that if I if I think I've been breached, I can go out and get my license replaced before I suffer an an identity theft incident. Yeah, I also wonder for John, what if he just went to DMV and said, "I lost my license." Yeah, that's a good point. I, I guess what, I, but I guess what he's looking for is like a reissue with a different number on it. I guess as opposed to just a reprint of the existing license which presumably has the compromised information, perhaps. I think that's the, that's the line of thinking John is following right, here. Yeah. So I don't know how it works in, in Colorado, but I know in Maryland, if I go out and get a new license, I have the exact same license number. I see. And in fact, the license number is a Soundex that's actually easy to derive. Hmm. And because my son and I have the same name, our driver's license numbers are almost identical. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I, you know, I got to notice... Uh, <laughs> I got a notice oh, probably six months ago of, of a data breach, and it was from an organization that I had not done business with since I was about 11 years old, Joe. Really? 40 years. <laughs> I had not heard from this from this organization, and I got a letter one day in the mail that said, hey, guess what? We had a data breach. And, and sort of to your point, I was like, what are you doing with my information? It's still <laughs> right. on file. It's been 40 years. Yeah. Like, I, you, and this is, this is, I haven't, this is, this is the first I hear from you. Right. <laughs> After 40 years. Not, so, gee, Dave, we miss you. No. And what does an 11 year old want that a 51, a 51 year old wants? Yeah. Money. Yeah. Money. <laughs> that's, that's it. Money. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, the other thing I will add here is that a lot of privacy folks that I've spoken to have suggested that uh, you consider the data of your customers uh, to be radioactive. Right. It's right? a nuclear material. Yes. If you have too much of it in one place, bad things happen. Yes. So get rid of it. Have some sort of uh, rules in place where after X number of years, it gets destroyed. I know it's easy to be a pack rat with this since storage is basically free these days. Right. We all do it, right? Mm-hmm. We all never throw anything away. That's uh, right. I have a Google Drive to prove it. I've got way too much. Yeah, I ha- actually have to <laughs> had to start paying Google $1.99 a month so that I could keep stuff on my Google Drive. Ugh. And I already pay for a terabyte of storage at Microsoft. Ugh, the humanity. <laughs> I just haven't moved it over. <laughs> right. I said, no, it's just easier to pay the two bucks a month. Yeah, it's just exactly. But if you're an organization, you get yourself in trouble. Yeah. Um, so uh, to your point, Joe, hopefully things are moving in the right direction. We'll see some legislature or legislation rather about right. this. And um, maybe we'll be headed in the right direction. So... Good questions, John. Thank you for writing in. We do appreciate it and uh, also for the kind words. Uh, we would love to hear from you. If you have a question for us, you can write us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Also, that's the address where you can send your catches of the day. Ah, excellent. 
All right, well, let's dig into our stories this week. Uh, I will start things off for us. My story comes from ZDNet. This is uh, written by Liam Tung, and uh, it's titled 2,000 Arrests in Crackdown on Social Engineering and Business Email Scams. When this came across my newsfeed this week, a big smile went across my face, Dave. <laughs> it's good news. It good is. news. Uh, so the fine folks at Interpol announced that they had raided over 1,700 locations over the per- period of about two months. They seized $50 million in fraudulent uh, gains and arrested about 2,000 people, which they described as operators, fraudsters, and money launderers as part of their crackdown on social engineering and business email compromise rackets. Uh, This was an international effort. Uh, They say some 76 countries participated in the crackdown um, against organized crime and uh, these social engineering scams. Um, They were going after people who were uh, taking part in telephone deception, romance scams, email deception, financial crime, all that good stuff. Uh, In addition, they identified about 3,000 suspects and there were 4,000 bank accounts that were frozen. It's a lot of bank accounts. (laughs) It's a lot of – a lot. Um, And only $50 million. That's not a lot of money for this kind of uh, crackdown. But I imagine the money moves through these criminal organizations very quickly. Yeah, and if you can, you know, that was the question I had for you was uh, to what degree do you think uh, something like this makes a difference? Uh, What I think makes the biggest difference is the fact that you've arrested 1,700 people and got 2,000 more people to arrest. Mm -hmm. That makes the difference. Yeah. Um, That's going to be the incentive or disincentive, if you will. To, right. to not participate in this. You know, the idea the idea that these guys have is, hey, we can just get away with this. We mm-hmm. do this because we're operating outside of uh, the force of the laws of, of uh, the countries we're targeting. They, they usually target more wealthy countries, and I get the wealth disparity issue. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't excuse criminality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they work in an environment where law enforcement may not be as tough as it is here in the United States. I mean, we have... We have some pretty tough law enforcement to, in this country to the to the point where there are some problems yeah. with it, right? Okay. Like, I, I'm not happy with the amount of surveillance that goes on in this country. Mm. And there are other issues as well that I'm not happy with. But yeah. so it's it's if you're in the U.S., it's pretty easy for law enforcement to catch you doing financial crimes in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Outside of the country, you may feel like they're never going to be able to catch me. Right. And that gives you that incentive to do this. Right. So I think to answer your question, as, as I have always done, I've given a long answer to a very simple question. <laughs> uh, but your, your simple question is, does this matter? I think, yes, it does, because these people are going to uh, have to interact with their legal system now. And that is never a good situation for anybody. I so, think it's good to good. Ha- have the, them looking over their shoulders, too. Yeah, that absolutely. If, if I'm running that phone bank uh, in one location and the, the folks down the street got collared, Yep. I'm going to think twice about it. Maybe it's time to move on to something else. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of these companies have legitimate businesses and they run the legitimate businesses as call centers. And then they have another room where all the scammers work, mm-hmm. right? And that's, uh, that is probably more profitable, but maybe it's not worth spending 10 years in prison for. Right, right. 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 All right. Well, good to share some good news. Uh, so I thought I would pass that along. Uh, the guys at, uh, guys and gals at Interpol uh, doing some good work with all their international partners. So, you know, it's good to see that this stuff is being paid attention to and there are some crackdowns. So I, I think it's a good reminder. 
All right, Joe, that's my story. What do you have for us this week? Dave, my story is a reminder that the bad guys have calendars hanging up in their offices with the seasons of hacking on them. <laughs> okay. Right? And th- I-, I like to say, think of it as an evil liturgical calendar where there is no such thing as ordinary time. <laughs> okay. It's always some scam season. Uh-huh. And last week was Father's Day season. Oh. Right? Yeah. Hack season. Scam season. Yeah. Hacking season. Scam season. My story comes from Jennifer Meyerhands over at the BBC. And the title of the story is Heineken Says Father's Day Beer Contest is a Scam. Uh Uh-oh. So there is a scam going around on WhatsApp where you get this picture of a cooler pack of Heineken. And it says, hello, welcome to the Heineken Beer Father's Day Contest. Take Hmm. the quiz, find the hidden prize, and win a cooler full of Heineken beer. Uh-huh. Now, part of me goes, what's second prize? Two coolers full of Heineken beer? <laughs> oh, now, Joe. Uh, <laughs> You're um, a rascal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Heineken, but uh-huh. you know, it's, it's not. If somebody handed me a Heineken beer at a party, I wouldn't turn it down. Yeah. Uh, I would ask, is this the best you have? <laughs> and that's why you don't get invited to many parties. And that's parties, why I don't Joe. get invited to parties, right? <laughs> But interesting on this uh, on this scam is that there are uh, there's a thing at the bottom that says 250 gifts left, and uh, if you go there's another picture here that says Heineken Beer Father's Day Contest 2022 five thousand coolers of Heineken and the URL ends in .ru oh, right mm-hmm. I don't know if you are a, uh, aware of where Heineken <laughs> is made but it's not made in Russia no. <laughs> uh, so naturally, Heineken is very upset with this, as as they should be, mm-hmm. right? And they're telling everybody it's a scam. Delete it immediately. Don't, you know, we're aware of the phishing scam circulating uh, on social networks. It's not sanctioned by Heineken, and we have alerted the relevant authorities. Right uh, now, one of the places that will never have a crackdown on these kind of scams, one of the places where these guys do operate with impunity when they go outside of the country is Russia. Mm-hmm. Russia doesn't cooperate with foreign law enforcement at all. Right. So I think this the fact that this is uh, linking to a .ru URL is a clear indicator that it might be being run out of Russia. <laughs> it's I mean, a red flag. Yeah, sure. it's a red flag. Yep. So a couple of things that are interesting in here. One one is from uh, one one quote is from uh, Ian McShay, who I think we've had on this show. Uh, Sounds familiar. From yeah. Arctic Wolf. Oh sure, yeah. Uh, and he says. He says the uh, the the response you know, the the message often says only the first X number of people will win, mm-hmm. and that ends lends the credibility of the of the scam. Uh, online threats or online threat alert dot com said the scam is spreading like wildfire, and it was difficult to track within private messages. Uh, WhatsApp and, and their parent company Meta, I guess, are saying uh, that you should report these fraudulent messages to them so they can take some action. What that action is, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't have any hope in 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 that <laughs> producing anything when you're talking about Meta. Right. Um, I just don't have a lot of faith in that company as a whole. Uh, that's a personal opinion. Yeah. Not you know, it, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't already know. Right. Anyway, <laughs> they've earned it. <laughs> they've earned right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my point of picking the story is there. There's always something. Right. It's always something. Next, what's it going to be next week? Hey, Independence Day giveaways, right? Because mm. Independence Day is coming up here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or uh, let's see, new fiscal year, right? For a lot of companies, they, they begin fiscal years on July 1st. That's where a lot of accounting scams might be coming in. Yep. Right? And all that information on publicly traded companies is out there on the internet. 
And you can see when somebody's fiscal year begins and ends if they're publicly traded. Right. So these are the kind of things you need to be aware of. What's going on around you? What's going on at this point in time? And how these phishing scams work and how they usually start. Mm -hmm. Just ignore them. And it's like it, retailers, you right. know, you got your, your, what do we go, Christmas, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, right, yeah. <laughs> Easter, Fourth <laughs> of July, <laughs> uh, Memorial Day, Memorial President's Day, Day. Day, Thanksgiving, and then Christmas, and it's all over again, yeah. right? There's never a time when the store is not decorated. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And this is similar to that. Yeah, car dealerships are like that, too. Yeah. There's always some sales event going on. Mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. it's always Toyota-thon. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it seems. I, yes. I don't know. Jen is always saying something about some sales events <laughs> going on at Toyota dealerships. Right. Uh, and, and I kind of object to that. You know, I, I, I almost look at that as, as it's an insult on my intelligence, mm -hmm. right? Be, when it's coming from a, from a retailer. But for some reason, when it's coming from a criminal enterprise, I'm like, I should be cautious of this. Mm. And I wonder if those two are related in my head, right? Mm. Like, I'm, I'm cautious of it because it's coming from a retailer, but I'm cautious of it because it's coming from a scammer as well. Yeah. I wonder if that provides me any protection, hmm. uh, like any mental protection from these kind of things, like yeah. these Jedi mind tricks. It I just like to rubs you the wrong way. It does just, it rubs me the wrong way. There are a lot of things that rub me the wrong way, yeah. and this is one of them. Another <laughs> one is when somebody tries to instantly uh, pretend there's a rapport between the two of you, oh. you and somebody else. Really? That, that, that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Is that right? Yeah. By the way, I wanted to tell you how what a lovely shirt you're wearing today. Dave, coming from you, it's fine. <laughs> you and I do have a, a good rapport. You and I have years of of working together. It's right. fine. I, okay. I, you can tell me that. <laughs> I see. Right? If somebody else comes up and but says— But when you walk into the car dealership and the guy says, Hello there, sir. What a lovely shirt you're yeah, wearing I'm today. Like, uh, uh, I'm not here to talk about my shirt, and you know it, and don't—that. Uh, right. th yeah. There you go. That's a perfect example, Dave. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, interesting story. We will have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, again, we would love to hear from you. You can write us at hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Funny that our second story was about Heineken because our catch of the day also comes from the Netherlands. Hmm. Joram writes... Hi, Jave, Jave and Doe. <laughs> like we're the Heaven's Gate cult, right? It's <laughs> T and Doe. Hi, Joe and Dave. I have my own cybersecurity business, and I'm always trying to find new sources to learn more. I fairly recently discovered your podcast in that search. I really love the show. It's both very informative as well as fun and easy to listen to. Well, those are kind words. Thank you, Joram. Very nice. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. When checking my spam folder in my personal inbox, which I do on occasion, I came across a fun but futile attempt to scam for money. Dave, why don't you read this? Uh, it starts with my greetings. I am Miss Julia Iris, a retired economic operator hospitalized for health reasons. I suffer from heart disease, and the results of some of my medical tests show that my days on earth are numbered. While I have my bank a sum of money of 3,425,000 euros. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have no family or children who will be able to benefit from this money. I was advised by the Catholic bishop and my spiritual guide to inherit it from a person who I must choose at random, who can put these funds to good use. The reason why I'm contacting you today by email, given that I am under hospitalization in order to live the rest of my life, 
you are therefore the beneficiary of 3,425,000 euro. I offer it to you from the bottom of my heart. I just ask for prayers in return so that my soul may rest in peace on the last day. Please write to me by email. May the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, hear your prayers. Amen. <laughs> All right. So one of the things that Joram said, and this stuck out to me when I read it as well, is there's a line in here. I was advised by the Catholic bishop and my spiritual guide to inherit it from a person whom I must choose at random. Uh-huh. All right. I don't know if you know how a lot of charitable organizations work. Yeah. Right? But they run on money. <laughs> it's, yes, it's the, it's the unfortunate reality of Correct. the world in which we live. Right. And there are many <clears throat> people who, when they die, they leave a large gift to a charitable organization. Sure. And people do that with their churches. Yeah. And I find it difficult to believe that a bishop mm -hmm. would recommend randomly picking somebody to give money to, as opposed to saying, you know, perhaps you should make a postmortem donation to the church. <laughs> That's right, exactly. You'd think at the very least he would throw his hat in the ring right, and say, yes. you, maybe you could split it between us and some something else that is special to you. Yes, <laughs> right. absolutely. Which right. is, you know, if if you're if you're a Catholic, that's not a bad thing to do with no, your money. No judgment you, at all. I yeah. mean, the church, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta keep the lights on. Right. It, it's it's but. I, I find it difficult to believe that they would say, just give it to some rando. Right. <laughs> no, we're good. Yeah. We're good. I can, you know, you know, I picture a guy in the, you know, the big pointy hat with the long cane. And yeah. Gold walking, scepter. Yeah. Gold yeah. scepter. Walking by the, uh, <laughs> walking by the, uh, the, uh, the, the hospital door and, uh, your eminence, should I, what should I do with his money? Oh, just give it to some rando. Yeah. No, we're good. Yeah. Keep we're going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Yoram, for sending that in. That's a great catch of the day. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and again, uh, we would love to hear from you. You can send it to us at hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, it is always a treat to welcome Carol Terrio back to the show. And this week, she is speaking with author Jeff White about his new book, The Lazarus Heist, From Hollywood to High Finance, Inside North Korea's Global Cyber War. Here's Carol Terrio. So today we are talking with Jeff White, investigative journalist, auteur, podcaster, climber, anything else? <laughs> <laughs> no, that about covers it, yes. Not for one man. Well, today we are going to talk about your upcoming book, The Lazarus Heist from Hollywood to High Finance, Inside North Korea's Global Cyber War. That's quite a title, Jeff. It's it snappy. is. It is. They always ask you to come up. You come up with a title and you work really hard for the title. And they say, oh, we need another bit after it. We need colon something or other. And then you spend weeks thinking of that. I'd, I'd rather just call it the thing and then that, that, that'll be it. But unfortunately, you yeah. have to describe then what the book is actually about. Right. Okay. Well, I'll refer to it as a Lazarus heist for time. <laughs> now, this book of yours was adapted from the BBC hit show, Lazarus mm. Heist podcast, which you host. Co-host, yeah. Yes, with Gene Lee. And I wanted to ask you, what made you decide to go down the literary route? The idea originally, I think when we developed the podcast, they said, oh, we'll, we'll try and maybe get a book a book out of this as well. And I sort of thought, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see, what, see what happens with that. I'll believe it when I see it. But fair enough, you know, audiences would seem to like the podcast. You know, the BBC were very happy with the podcast and then, you know, went to a publisher and they end up, end up being Penguin. And, and they sort of thought, well, 
there's much more to tell. That was part of my pitch. There's lots more to tell beyond the podcast. There's all those little wrinkles and things you can't fit into the podcast. But over and above that, you know, the North Koreans have been accused of more and more hacks. So there's always more to put in. So I think the idea was we can just do more and say more in a book, I think. So maybe we should take a step back. And why don't you give us the gist of the Lazarus heist and why it grabbed you more than any other cyber gang stories out there? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the Lazarus heist podcast and indeed the book is the story of how North Korea became a, a, a cyber superpower, a computer hacker superpower. I mean, you sort of tend to forget that if you ask the UK government, UK intelligence community to sort of rank the top four threats against the UK, it'll generally be sort of China, Russia in first and second place interchangeably, but third and fourth places are usually either Iran or North Korea. And again, change between the one and the other. So you know, North Korea is in the sort of top four, which considering how small North Korea is, and also the fact that the bulk of people in the country don't even have access to the internet, that's quite a remarkable turn of events. So the whole point mm. of the podcast and the book was to answer the question, why has that happened? But also how have they done that? And so we followed through, you know, the trail of the Lazarus group, the so-called Lazarus group, who are behind a lot of these hacks who are alleged to be working on behalf of the North Korean government to look at where they come from, where they spring from, the kind of hacks they carry out and the evolution that's gone on, their gradual growth in tactics and, and effectiveness. That's really what we've been concentrating on. Were you learning as you went or did you have it all sorted out before you went live with the podcast and um, started talking about it? No, we were learning as we go. I mean, I'd written a book um, a couple of years ago called Crime.com and, and right. the Lazarus High story really was one chapter in Crime.com. And if you would said to me, well, that chapter will make it into a 10-part podcast series, I would have said, no, no, it's not going to happen. There's, there's, <laughs> I've, I've found out everything I can about that Bangladesh bank hack that the North Koreans are accused of doing. But you find out more and more and, and stuff does come to light as you make the podcast. There was this intriguing connection of a Japanese guy who ends up getting involved in the process of laundering money allegedly stolen by the North Koreans. And he was always a sort of shadowy character. And we had a few leads, but we never quite you know, managed to nail him down. As we were making the podcast, he sort of responded to the email and said, yeah, yeah I'll have a chat to you. I'll do an interview. And I just sort of fell off my chair at that point and thought, will you? Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So you get him on the phone and you sort of ask him some questions. Um, so yeah, stuff always develops. And as I say, you know, even in the course of making the second series of the podcast, we've got a second series coming out in October. You know, we've had the Axie Infinity Ronin Bridge cryptocurrency attack being attributed to North Korea. We've had some convictions around a cryptocurrency conference that was held in North Korea. A chap in the US has been convicted for his involvement in that. There's a couple of other warrants out. So stuff stuff just keeps developing. I hope at some stage the North Koreans just take a breather while we finish the series before, before doing anything else. <laughs> um, so your book, The Lazarus Heist, is going to be hitting the digital shelves in June. Is mm. that right? And the physical shelves in June. It's, it's, it's paper, it's audio, it's ebook, all, all the formats. Oh, not mime. We've, we've avoided mime. I thought that was a bit of a too, much, too much of a challenge. <laughs> and <laughs> modern modern what, dance. <laughs> do you ever worry, you know, you're covering this, you're probably going to become the Lazarus gang's biggest expert in terms of their entire life cycle. Does that worry you at all? Um, well, listen, for a start, I don't know anywhere near as much as some of the technical experts we're speaking to. So in terms of how they work and what they do, there are lots of people in the world who have far more knowledge of that than I do. But yes, it, we, we take these risks extremely seriously. The BBC and Penguin take it very seriously. I mean, look, one of the stories we cover in both the podcast and the book is the hacking of Sony, which is a big media mm -hmm. organisation that did something North Korea didn't like, put together a film called The Interview, which was pretty mocking of Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea. And the North Koreans, it seems, did not like that one bit and were accused of hacking into Sony and demolishing the company for a period of time. Obviously, 
the BBC and Penguin are big media organisations. We're doing something that the North Koreans might not like by covering the hacking. You know, the last thing we want is for them to, to, to put us in the same position Sony are in. So we do take this very, very seriously. Usefully, as you go along, you know, you cover these hacks and you cover these attacks and you get an insight into what the tactics are. Depressingly, a lot of it's still phishing emails. But so that's kind of helped us, I think, stay a bit more secure, hopefully, touching wood, because we, we kind of know what the tactics are because we're hearing those tactics from victims. Hopefully we can keep ourselves uh, safe against them as well. Well, I very much hope so, because what you do is important. And thank you for sharing all your research with us. Great to speak to you. Thanks for having me on. Listeners, this was Jeff White, author of The Lazarus Heist, which will be available in June. All right, Joe, what do you think? Well, I'm glad to have Carol back on the show. Yep. Uh, I always like hearing her. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that stands out in this interview to me is that North Korea is one of the top five hacking nation states. Mm -hmm. Uh, North Korea is so prolific in hacking that Jeff can do two podcast series and a book on them. Right. Right? (laughs) Right. And I I would, just as an aside, I would recommend folks check out Jeff's podcast. Uh, It's excellent. I haven't haven't listened to it yet, but... Yeah. Uh, Jeff is actually on a lot of other podcasts right now pushing this book. And I'll yeah. talk about that in a minute yeah. um, because this is a short interview. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear longer interviews, I'll, I'll just say this now. If you want to hear longer interviews, uh, Perry Carpenter, Eighth Layer Insights, has a bonus episode. As of this recording, it's the most recent bonus episode with Jeff. Yeah. And uh, Jack Recyder on over at Darknet Diaries also has uh, an episode with Jeff, right. episode 119. Okay. Uh, and I'm about halfway through that episode, but I listened to the Perry Carpenter one, the, or the Eighth Layer Insights with Perry, and that was really good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Jack's show is always great. Sure. Uh, and so is Perry's, by the way. You should yeah. check out, you know, I'll, you know what? Shameless plug for Perry's uh, fellow cyberware. <laughs> I'm also going to be on an upcoming episode of that show. Oh, terrific. So, yeah, um, Perry's a really good storyteller. Yeah, he so, is. Uh, if you haven't checked out Eighth Layer Insights, uh, give it a listen. But uh, back to Jeff. Yeah. Something that amazes me about these hackers, uh, the, you know, the, the fact that Jeff can produce all this media on North Korean hackers, these hackers don't grow up with computers, hmm. Right. They may not even grow up with electricity, Dave, yeah. or constant electricity. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard stories, uh, other, I've listened to other podcasts about what it's like in North Korea, and you know, they, they have, you don't get a computer. Right. Very few people get computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen stories where you go into a, a North Korean data center, and there's just people sitting at computers, but all they're doing is looking at the Google search screen, like that's what you're doing, what, what you do. Huh. They've loaded up Google, and they're just looking at it. Huh. Okay. So what they do, uh, and I heard this on, I think it was Jack's show, uh, Jeff said this, they take people who are good at math and they turn them into hackers. Hmm. And then they send them out of the country to hack because there is no infrastructure in the country. Oh, I see. Right? Mm -hmm. Which is another key point about North Korea. We could not win a cyber war with North Korea, right? Because it is completely asymmetrical. Hmm. They could hack and do thousands of dollars in damage, millions of dollars in damage, billions of dollars in damage to our infrastructure. And we can't do it to them because they just don't have that infrastructure. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Right? So, they're, they're, I mean, if it's just a pure cyber war, we can't win. We, we just have to, you know. They, they just don't have as much to lose. They just don't have as much to lose. Exactly. Okay. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if it's even within their capabilities to do it, but it's probably not within what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, they probably don't want to do that because it's, probably not in their own interests. No, and I think they're, you know, things are pretty brittle over there they just are. in general. So yeah. 
How much do you want to poke the bear? Uh, yeah, they, what they really are interested in is keeping the money flow coming in. Yep. That's yep. what they want. Yep. Uh, key takeaway, North Korea, one of the most advanced nation-state actors in the world, and their most frequently used tool is just fishing, mm-hmm. right? That's why shows like this are important. That's why it's it's important to have security awareness training. It is probably the most efficient and effective way to get in to an organization is just by fishing. Yeah. That's why it's so popular and why it's such a big problem. Yeah. And I, I guess I wonder, um, in terms of North Korea's threat, to what degree is do they actually have true sophistication with the things they're developing and to what degree are they just persistent? And, you know, they use the, they use the stuff that works, right. like you said, because their priority is, is getting the money flowing. So it's just volume, volume, volume of uh, these sort of scammy things to, to finance their government. Yeah, I, I get the impression that there are other people involved in this as well mm. that aren't North Koreans, people that North Koreans pay. Yeah. I, I don't know if, uh, you know, maybe if I listen to Jeff's podcast, which I do plan on doing, there's information about that out there. I think I recall something in one of these interviews, even talking about somebody who is in Japan uh, as part of the organization that yeah. helped them. So it yeah. seems like they might, what they might be doing is building an international network of people to provide these tools and services to them. Yeah, I've heard there's some there's some coziness between them and China, for example. Well, yeah, there is coziness between them and China, and there has been since the inception of North Korea. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the uh, kind of the point. Uh, or the Chinese point for the existence of North Korea. Uh, I'm very sad to hear that the book is not coming out in mime format, <laughs> but I am perfectly happy to hear that it's not coming out in, in modern dance. Well, there you so, go. Small miracles, yes. right? <laughs> I would also not like to see the book come out in ballet if you're looking for other kinds of dance I don't like. Okay. But modern dance and ballet are my two least favorite kinds of dance. All right. I love listening to ballets, though. Duly noted. <laughs> right. All right, well, Tchaikovsky again— Tchaikovsky wrote some great stuff. Again, our thanks to Carol Terrio for uh, bringing us that interview with Jeff White. Uh, the book is uh, The Lazarus Heist from Hollywood to High Finance, Inside North Korea's Global Cyber War, and uh, definitely worth a look there. All right, that is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 